Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 6. As we finish off the chapter today in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews in a Bible study that I've entitled, Anchored in Jesus. Anchored in Jesus. Remember, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish believers in the first century that are very much tempted to go back to the religious system of Judaism, the worship that centers around the temple. All the formalities, the priesthood, the sacrifices, You see, Judaism taught and teaches even today to look forward to Messiah, to the Savior to come. And Jesus Christ has come, he has fulfilled the law, and everyone that will place their faith in him will be saved. He's the last and once and for all sacrifice for our sins, and they've embraced him. You would say that they are Christians, believers like you and I, but they're tempted, and they're tempted to go backwards. They were taught, as we are, of the soon return of Jesus Christ, but it hadn't happened yet. That combined with the cultural pressures, the family pressures, the the financial pressures, they're looking for a way out. And so Paul, he writes to them and encourages them, this the big theme of the book of Hebrews, the, the banner over Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is better. Or you could even say that he is the best. That there is no substitute. No need to go to the left or to the right. No need to go backwards. Cling to him. And so there are a series of warnings that are mentioned. And one of the warnings that we learned last time was a warning against laziness. Notice with me in verse 11 of chapter 6. It says, And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and practice inherit the promises. If you haven't already, circle the word sluggish and write next to it slothful. Again, we don't use sluggish or slothful very much, so we use the word that's most familiar to us, and that is laziness. Don't become lazy spiritually. Now I know that if we were to ask how many of you think you're lazy, most people would not answer that they're lazy. You wake up early, you go to bed late, you work hard, you're faithful and diligent in the things of life, but that's not the kind of laziness that's mentioned here. The type of laziness that is mentioned here is spiritual laziness. Because the issue that the Hebrew believers, the Jewish believers are facing is very much a similar issue that you and I face, and that is, while we're waiting on the Lord, it's easy to give up and to become lazy spiritually. And he says, don't do that. Show the same diligence to the full assurance so you don't become lazy, but instead imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Imitate those that have gone before us, those that have waited and received strength, those that have waited and received the promise. You see, the temptation in our faith is that when God gives the promise and we respond by faith, we don't persevere. We don't endure. Our faith is under attack. We are very impatient. 
and desiring things to happen now, even though waiting on God is a part of the Christian life. It's a difficult part. It's very hard to wait when there's seeming silence from heaven, where God gives the promise, but it doesn't happen right away. You know, this instant gratification isn't just something in our culture, it's been something that's a human condition. Of course, we have our own pressures today, We're used to getting things fast and faster and faster and faster. Efficiency is on the rise. But it's a human condition. And the the example that he uses is somebody that was very well respected, both then and now, but especially to the Jewish believers. Notice in verse 13 now. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying, I'll multiply you. And so, verse 15, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's you and me, by the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath. So Abraham is used as an example And he's used as an example of someone that patiently endured. Did you see that? Patiently endured. If you haven't already, again, circle that phrase. And remember, this represents 25 years. He patiently endured for 25 years. Now, come back with me to Genesis. Let's read the promise together in Genesis chapter 22. Where did this promise occur and what happened in Abraham's life? Come back to Genesis chapter 22 and let's learn this interaction between God and Abraham. As God comes to Abraham and promises him a tremendous blessing, pick up with me in verse 15, back in Genesis chapter 22, it says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Here's the promise, verse 17. Blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's a tremendous promise. Everyone in the world will be blessed because of you, Abraham. That's a huge promise. And it's centered upon the focused promise of God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. God's faithfulness. Because oftentimes when we look at a promise, we sense that that waiting upon the promise to be fulfilled. And we think that when the promise is fulfilled, that that's where the blessing really is. That is a part of the blessing. But as God is giving the blessing and the promise to Abraham, and I'm going to ask this out loud. I want you to answer out loud, okay? When God is giving this promise to Abraham, does God know that it's going to be 25 years until it's fulfilled? Yes. God knows. So there's more to the promise than just the fulfillment. And that is God is promising something great and grand through his life But he's also promising that the process will be as good as the promise. The process. The process of waiting, enduring, learning, growing, that's just as important as the end result. 
And I have to say, much of what's promised to Abraham actually isn't going to be experienced by Abraham. It's going to be experienced by generation and generation and generation after him. And so there's a blessing in the process. And part of the process is waiting. There's a blessing in waiting. Haven't we learned that in Isaiah chapter 40? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary and they're going to walk and not faint. As we wait on God, remember, we're not just waiting on the promises, but rather we're waiting on the giver of the promise who's described here as someone that has given his word. He's given an oath and I'll bless you and I'll multiply you, Abraham. And it says in verse 15 that he patiently endured. That's the testimony of Abraham's life. Those of you that know Abraham's life, you immediately begin to think about his failures. Like a brother came up after service last night and we're talking about the service and he had a question. And it's a question I'm sure that's on some of your minds. Because you think of Abraham and you think, wait a minute, patiently endured? I can think of a couple episodes, especially one in particular, where he wasn't patiently at all. He wasn't patient at all. He took things into his own hands. He listened to the bad counsel of his wife to say, well, just let's fulfill God's promise on our own. You know, I can't have a child, but Hagar, take my handmaid. And Abraham takes Hagar, the handmaid, and Ishmael is born. And Ishmael was not the promise of God. Ishmael was not the promise of God. The promise of God was Isaac that we read of here in Genesis 22. That's the promise of God. And so how can the Bible say that Abraham patiently endured and yet he was, his life was filled with failure? Which is a great question to ask. A couple answers. Number one, when God looks at your life, he sees the work he's done in your life. He doesn't identify you by your failures. I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope you're encouraged that you're not remembered by your failures. You're not remembered by that episode that the grace of God brings restoration, reconciliation, and God does a new fresh work in your life. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you and I are known now by our relationship with Jesus Christ as we abide in him. That's good news, church, that you're not remembered by your failures, number one. Number two which is also equally encouraging in this. The promises of God do not depend upon your performance. The promises of God are gracious gifts that he gives to us so that even in the midst of your failures, you will not undermine the promises of God. He will keep his word. He He has promised you. He has sealed it with an oath. Because he couldn't swear by anyone else, he is no one greater than God. He swore by himself. He put his stamp of approval. That the promises of God in Jesus Christ don't don't depend upon your performance or your perfection or even your character. The promises of God are in Jesus Christ. They're yes and amen. They depend upon his finished work. That it's not on our shoulders. That God is doing the work in spite of us not because of us. So then someone might conclude, well, wait a minute, Ed. If the promises of God just depend upon him and it's his grace gift, then I guess I can pretty much do whatever I want. 
and I can make any decision. I can even go out and sin and do whatever I want and if God's gonna keep his promise anyway, listen, the Bible doesn't teach that at any place, anywhere. That question's actually asked in the Bible. You Bible students know, Paul asked the question in Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? And the answer is, no, certainly not. And you know, Abraham, he both failed and patiently endured and paid the price of the consequences of his sin. Well, even to this very day, the difficulty and tension between the Jewish people, the children of Isaac, the children of Jacob, the children of Abraham, and Ishmael, the tension between the two, they're paying the price for that even in this very moment. You see, consequences remain. Consequences delay. Consequences hurt. And so there's no permission to continue in sin that grace may abound. But there is that need to patiently endure like Abraham. Abraham was used as an example that God fulfilled his promise. You know, there are a lot of promises in the Bible. I was thinking, you know, as we as followers of Jesus Christ in the new covenant, we have more promises than Abraham did. We have more promise to us than Abraham ever knew and ever experienced. So why aren't we making more progress as a church? Why, why is there so much unfaithfulness in the body of Christ today? Why is there so much spiritual sluggishness and slothfulness and laziness among us? I think the answer is very simple. We choose not to obey. We choose not to press into the things of God. We have become lazy. And I mean it's the body of Christ. And allow the Holy Spirit to bring it home into your own heart if it's applicable. Like why isn't that we're not pressing in more? Why isn't that are we not handling and holding on to the promises of God? The Bible's filled with them. Great and precious promises, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, if you're taking notes, just consider a few of them. In Psalm 50, there's the promise of help. God promises to help you and me. He says in Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you'll glorify me. How about the promise of comfort in Psalm 27, verse 10? When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Even if you felt the pain of abandonment, God's gonna take care of you. Why? Because he promised it in his word. How about the promise of encouragement? Psalm 138, verse eight. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. How about the promise of forgiveness? Psalm 86, verse five. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. You know, each of those promises are repeated again over and over again in the New Testament. They're all yours by faith. They're yours. They're, they're keepers. They're to strengthen us and help us and grow us. And on every page, there's a promise from God that's sure, steadfast, and reliable. God gave his promise and he confirmed it with an oath. He put a stamp of approval on it. Notice again in verse 18, <clears throat> that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, both his character and his word, two immutable things, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. Verse 19, this hope we have 
as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner is entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We'll get to Melchizedek in our next study, and you wonder, what is this all about? Well, God being so gracious is teaching the Hebrews from the frame of reference of their life. And these things are very vital, coming to us from the Old Testament, coming to us from temple worship and the Old Covenant. For example, it says in verse 18, it speaks of us fleeing for refuge, those that have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. This is a reference to the cities of refuge mentioned in the Old Testament. You see, among the children of Israel, six cities of refuge were set up so that a person that committed a crime unwillingly, by accident, like accidental manslaughter perhaps, or something where they've hurt or maimed someone, you know, there would be that instant, immediate desire to get revenge on that person before a trial would ever be set. And if a person committed a crime like that, they could run within the nation of Israel, they could run to a city of refuge. And once they were in the city, they were safe. You couldn't mess with anyone in the city of refuge. Once you were there, you were safe and secure until the judges would come, the leaders and the elders would come, and they would pronounce with the facts and the information a judgment on the situation. So if you were in trouble in the Old Testament times, you would run to the city of refuge. That's where you would find peace. But today, he says, with that in their minds, today you no longer run to cities. We don't run to a place for safety. We run to a person. Jesus himself is our place of refuge, our place of comfort, our place of consolation. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation because it's a little hard to grasp in the New King James. Listen to Hebrews 6.18 in the New Living. It says, So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, see, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary. So no longer do we run to a place for refuge, a city of refuge, Numbers chapter 35 and Joshua chapter 20, but we run to a person. Isn't it true though that it's easy to run to a place or to a thing for refuge these days? It's easy. It's easy to seek that sense of peace, even if temporary, when things are going out of control in our lives. Instead of running to Jesus, the place of refuge, the anchor of our soul. As a pastor, I watch it all the time. Men and women running to and fro. Some people run to the bottle in a time of difficulty. I had a sister come up after service last night and begin to share her story with me of her hitting a real rough patch in her life. I haven't seen her in a while, and so when she came up to me, she introduced herself or shared her name with me, and she says, do you remember me? I said, of course I remember you. I haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been? And that entered into the conversation of where she has been. You see, she had a baby recently, and she started battling with something she'd never experienced before. She started to experience what's known as postpartum depression. 
and she didn't know what it was. She had never heard of it before and wasn't quite sure how to respond having her child. And, and so in the difficult times and in the times of crisis, she recognizes something's not right. She's looking for a place of relief, so she ran to something familiar. She ran to the bottle. And as she begins to drink away some of the difficulties she's experiencing, it has the exact opposite effect on her. You see, those of you that are familiar with alcohol, you know that it is a depressant. That the more you drink, the deeper your sorrow gets. And so this postpartum depression, where she had thought she hit a dark patch, she actually hit darker patches, as every time she would drink, it wouldn't solve her problems. Every time she went to the bottle, it got worse and worse. So much so that it snapped inside of her and she started having out of control anxiety attacks. She was out of control to the point where God finally grabbed her attention. It's been many, many weeks now since she's taken a drink and she has fled to a person for refuge. She has found her strength in the Lord. He's become an anchor. You see, alcohol will not anchor you to truth. Turning to drugs will not anchor you to truth. Running to a person or another relationship will not anchor you to truth. Now even running to this building and to this property, while I pray you'll meet somebody that will point you to the true anchor, a building won't anchor you to truth. You have to run to the person, Jesus Christ. You have to choose to run to the one who is your real refuge and consolation. Because there's a lot going on in this room right now. There's a lot going on, people connected to us on the radio, live right now and online. There's a lot of pain in this room right now. You don't see it or feel it unless you're the one in pain. There's a lot of worry here, a lot of anxiety, things outside of your control. Not sure what a day will bring. Not sure what's gonna happen in the morning. Not sure how this situation will turn out. Waiting for God to fulfill his promise. He's given you a word. He's given you an encouraging word. He's given you a scripture to hold on to. You've memorized it. You wrote it down. You know it. You cling to it. And there you are. You received the promise. And God knows the time of the fulfillment. And you're in the process. And you know as well as I do. When things are all upside down in our lives. And things are just coming against us like a storm. I think this picture of an anchor is a powerful picture. Is it not? Because anchors keep ships steady and put. It keeps a ship put in the midst of stormy seas. And the beautiful thing about an anchor is that you just throw it out and it does its job, right? It just takes care of it. You don't have to hold the anchor. You don't have to work it. You just throw it out. It anchors on the bedrock below and you don't move. And so the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, the hope in his person, when you flee to him for refuge, is an anchor for your soul. It's an anchor for your life. And God has brought you here today to listen to this Bible study, to answer this question. What is anchoring your life? What are you clinging to? And what's clinging to you? You see, all of us have to deal with issues. There isn't one person listening to me, believer, unbeliever alike, that isn't going to deal with something in their lives, or two or three, in this sin-soaked world that we're in, this sin-stained world, whether it's our own mistakes and sinful decisions, or the sinful decisions of someone else, 
or a combination of the two, we're all gonna face pain and sorrow and difficulty because the Bible is true today as it has been every day and will be every day. The wages of sin is death. Pain and sorrow and difficulty. And so what is your anchor? You know, if you run to the bottle, you'll be greatly discouraged. The bottle is no anchor. If you run to some legal or illegal drug to desensitize and to try to take off the edge of the pain, you'll find that it won't last, that it won't give you what you're looking for. If you run to a person and you're hoping in that relationship, that person, even if it's your spouse, for the full fulfillment of the anchor of your life and your soul, you'll be sorely disappointed. How many of us have been betrayed by a friend, someone that we once trusted? You can't run to a person, not a human person. You see, this hope, it says in verse 19, is the anchor of the soul. This hope, sure and steadfast. You know, hope is vital. It's essential for life. You're not gonna live very long without hope. You're not gonna make it without hope. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to go back on his word. And this brings us great confidence and great comfort because God has promised and confirmed his promise with an oath. He's there to provide shelter and protection from danger. He's there to provide protection from distress or from some enemy. As an anchor of our soul, when our ship is tossed to and fro with the storms of life. You see, the good thing about anchors is it keeps a ship stable when the, when the water's calm and when it's crazy and out of control. You know, and then there's this thing that I've just learned about recently. There's this, this thing they call the rogue wave that just out of the blue, a wave can come up and just completely slam the largest of ships. And what's gonna keep them strong and steady to be anchored to the bedrock by faith in Jesus Christ. That today God would invite you to stop running to and fro and run to the person for refuge. Throughout Christian history, anchors have been a picture of steadfast, rock-solid faith. We were in Rome recently and we were actually headed to the catacombs, but the weather prevented us from getting there and we didn't get to visit. But I am told, and I've read, that in the catacombs, the symbol that is most often put, now they were in the, they hid in the caves underground in the catacombs to preserve their lives from vicious persecution, believers did. And I am told that the most popular symbol etched into the rock of the catacombs is the anchor. As they considered their life and the persecution of their life and how it was going to end very quickly, that they would be found that the time that they spent was etching that symbol in the bedrock underground, the anchor of their souls, that they were standing firmly, trusting him in the worst of condition. An anchor speaks to us of safely strong in the midst of great adversity. That no matter what storms come our way, we are anchored in the word of God, in the promises that he has made. We are anchored in him by faith. We have this sure hope that he will do what he says. So we refuse to go backwards. We refuse to run away. We refuse to return to something empty that will not help us. 
An anchor keeps us from floating away aimlessly in the midst of difficult times. You know, when I'm putting a Bible study together, when I'm sitting down in my office and I'm praying through and my computer's open and reading through the scriptures many times, I'm, I'm being ministered to personally before you ever do through the Bible study. Because I believe that Bible studies should come through a man, not from a man. And so I want the Lord to speak to me. I want the Bible to speak to me. I don't want to just put a Bible study together, put some notes together. I want, I want God, I want to redeem that, t- that time that I'm studying for not just us as a church, but for me. And I began to meditate on this phrase, an anchor for my soul. Did you notice that? It's an anchor for your soul. Like, like that's the greatest part of you is your eternal soul. God redeems you body, soul, and spirit, but this hope that we have is an anchor for our soul. And with all of the needs that are among us and all the difficult circumstances that we have, the hope that you have in Jesus Christ is not merely for the situation you're in, it's for your soul. You know, the greatest need of man has to do with his soul. The greatest need of all the things that are here today your greatest need relates to your soul. The need that you have of the forgiveness of your sins. To be brought into new life that your soul would be awakened. You know, we trust God for our salvation. There's not a lot of doubt when it comes to, a, like, yes, I believe I'm born again. Uh, yes, I, I began to think with some of the circumstances that are in my life, some of the things that I'm dealing with, some of the adversity that's in my life, God brought me back now. This brings me back to February 20th, 1991. It brings me right there where I was sitting back in that back row, right where you are, ma'am, right there. I was sitting right there in a different church, very much like this, where a man in this position was teaching the Bible. And I don't remember much of what he said that night, except I do remember the glimpses and the times of being, being introduced to the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all of us, but for me in particular, I took that personal, that if I would repent of my sins, of which I had many, that God would forgive me and change my life forever. And that evening I was born again. My life was forever changed. And little did I know, I didn't know this, but God knew this, that when I was born again, he began to immediately work on me on the inside. Oh, sure, he delivered me from my addiction to alcohol and drugs. Yes, he delivered me immediately. But yes, he began to work in me to become the man that he desired. He began to work in me immediately. I didn't know it. I couldn't say it. But he began to work immediately in my relationship with my wife. He began to work immediately in me in my relationship with my son, Eddie. He began to work immediately in me in my relationship with my mom and dad and with my boss and with my coworkers and with just basically being a man in society. He began to change me from the inside out. Do you know God already knew what he was gonna do in my life? He already knew what my family would turn out. He already knew how things would, he already knew where I would live. I mean, you think about it, he knew that I would be here today among you, even though I didn't know that back then. Like God dealt a, a life blow to my soul the day I was born again, just like you. And I don't doubt for one second that I'm a saved person most of the entirety of my life. I've only had a couple of episodes in my life where, where I was hit really hard and I wondered if I was saved or not. 
God was very faithful to snap me out of that in a quick way. But I, I, I wrestle. That's not been an issue in my life. I got other issues. I got lots of issues, but that wasn't one of them. That wasn't one of them. And I really do believe and stand before you today and believe that I am born again and that God, for, I've not only believe it, but I've seen the evidence of it every single day of my life. God is faithful. So let me ask you this, because I think you're in the same place. I don't think I'm sharing like an individual testimony. I think you're in the same place. I think that there is a lot of confidence in this room that you as a man, you as a woman are born again and you trust God to deal with the greatest, biggest issue in your life, the forgiveness of your sins. You have that faith to believe. Then why is it we become so faithless with the smaller circumstances that come our way? And what is God reminding us today? I mean, I know the answer to that. We're human we deal with issues. It doesn't make you a bad believer that you struggle, not at all. But God is calling you to a greater, higher level today. And he's saying, look, this hope you have in Jesus Christ, as you fl- you've run to him, you've literally run to him for refuge and peace and consolation. It is an anchor for your soul. You are not moving. You will not be shaken You will not be stolen. A rogue wave of difficulty will not sink you because of the hope you have in Jesus Christ. And it started the moment you were born again and continues on until we see him face to face. The culmination of all of our hopes and dreams to be in his presence. Do you know if we had the opportunity, if we had the opportunity to interview people that are in heaven today, you know, just to, to hear what they have to say. I think that the prevailing word that people would say from those that are in the presence of God right now, many of them are loved ones, our friends that have gone before us, they, you would hear from heaven, believe the word, it's true, all of it. We're here worshiping in the presence of Jesus Christ. The word is true, you can trust it. God's promises are sure. He sealed it with an oath and I'm experiencing it right now. And you say, wait a minute, Ed. Where did you get that from? Where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to Psalm 119. I want to show you something. I want to give you a glimpse of the heavenly scene. This is one of those verses you got to dig a little bit to find. Because you know, Psalm 119 has all these verses in it. And you might start reading it and it's repetitive over and over again about the solid faithfulness of God's word. And you might give up before you get to the end. Don't ever do that. Keep reading. Don't give up till you get to the end because there's this neat little verse here in Psalm 119, verse 89 that I want you to cling to. It also helps to anchor you on the promises of God. God's promise of an eternal land that anchors the believer's soul and keeps us from floating around and finding ourselves roaming around. Notice in verse 89, Psalm 119. It says, forever, O Lord, Your word is settled. Where? In heaven. And may it be settled in our hearts. (laughs) Forever. The word of God is a settled matter in heaven. No debate, no worry, no doubts. In heaven, God's word is God's word, but so is it on earth. And how, how do we obtain the kind of confidence that's available to us? By faith. By faith. We trust God at his word. We patiently endure Even if it is 25 years, we patiently endure. Because 25 years is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. 
And while you're feeling tossed and turned and while the circumstances of life beat against that house, remember Jesus gave the similar illustration about those guys building houses. You know, I get the picture they built right next door, but one guy chose the right foundation and he built his house or his life upon the rock. And the other guy, a little bit more lazy in how he chooses, he builds his house on the sand. And, and if you walked on the sidewalk in front of their houses, you'd never tell the difference. You're like, man, they're beautiful houses. I'll take either one. No, no, no. You got to check the foundation. You got to check the foundation. You got to really do that here in Colorado. You know, they have something called, um, ex- I don't know what the technical name, but expansive soil here. We had a bunch of it right over there, right in the foyer, because we had to dig it all out. And I don't know what they did with it. I hope they threw it away, but I don't know how you throw dirt away. So, but it was a big deal. Delayed the building. I remember. I remember it was a big deal when we were buying a house. So watch out for the expansive soil. Why? Because big cracks. But what if you build your house on the sand? How will you know? How will you know how you're building your life today? How will you know what your anchor is? I'll tell you. Storms. Difficulties. That reveals our foundation. And so perhaps today your foundation's revealed of, wow, Ed, I've been building on the sand. Well, the good news is God gives second chances. Now you know where not to build. We learn from our failures. Have you found that I've, have you found this to be true? I certainly have. I've learned more from my failures than I have from any successes. And instead of recognizing and identifying yourself by all your mistakes, no, no, just learn to patiently endure. Not gonna build there. Lord, put me in my life on the solid rock. Let you alone be the hope that anchors me to the truths of your word, that your promises are true. Yeah, but Ed, it's been 25 years. Well, ask Abraham. He waited 25 years and God came through. God came through. God came through and then fulfilled that promise that he gave in Genesis 22, that all the nations would be blessed, that we as the heirs of promise. He's the forerunner. Remember back in in Hebrews 6, he's the forerunner, going behind the veil. This is all the context of the Jewish mindset, the temple. Remember in the Holy of Holies and the outer, outer area of the temple where the showbread was and where the incense was, there was a veil that separated them. The veil was 60 by 30 feet and it was 10 inches thick. That you Bible students remember at the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ, the, t- the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, forever opening, forever opening the way so that as we learn in chapter four that we can all go into the throne room of grace to find help in time of need. Prior to the coming of Jesus, it was limited to one man once a year, the high priest. And he would sacrifice, he would sacrifice animals. He would sacrifice one for his own sin because he was a sinful man. And then he would sacrifice one for the sins of the people. And then he'd have that third one that we know as the scapegoat where he'd lay his bloody hands on the head of that goat and then tell it to get out of here. And everybody would watch the goat run away and it would be a symbol that as far as the east is from the west so far has God removed our sins from us. And you didn't go after the goat, man. You let it run. But no more. Because Jesus would teach us, and we'll see this in our next study, that as a greater high priest, the greatest high priest, he didn't come with three animals. Jesus didn't sacrifice an animal at all. 
that when Jesus entered in as a forerunner, remember the forerunner means the one that goes before so that we're following after. So that now by faith in Jesus Christ, as Jesus comes, he sacrificed not an animal, but he sacrifices himself and offers himself as the once for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sin and mine. So that now we can come in by faith because of his finished work, not your work, not your good deeds, not that we don't come in perfect. We come in under the blood and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He's a greater high priest, according to the order of this guy named Melchizedek, as we'll get to him next time. What's your anchor? What tethers you and keeps you strong in the midst of a storm? Let it be the promises of God. Let it be God himself. As the Bible says, we were saved in this hope, Romans chapter 8, verse 24. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So Jesus, our high priest, has entered in. He's sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Even as he was writing in Revelation to the church that would overcome, he's going to grant to the church that overcomes to sit on his throne. And this is the hope that we have as believers. The glorious hope of the kingdom of God and eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's the anchor. Everybody has an anchor, but only one anchor matters. With him, there's no shadow or variation of turning. What God has said, he shall do. His yes is always yes. Man, so encouraging. I know it's hard for some of you today. I wish there was something we could do to make it easier for you other than just pray and encourage you in the Lord. But listen, not only do you have an anchor for your soul, but you also have an anchor for your life. Because as you know, I don't know how people get through things without any hope. Many times they don't. Many times lives, you know, you turn to money and you turn to fame and you turn to, and you find that none of that really helps in the time of need. It might pass the time, but it doesn't give the kind of help and the solid foundation of knowing that you're right with your creator. And so when you choose to run, when you choose to look and you choose to seek out, and you've got a temptation to run this way, and you've got a temptation to run that way, and you've got a temptation to run backwards, I'm encouraging you, don't run at all. Stay put as Jesus Christ is your anchor, and the storm will pass. Because one thing I've learned, one thing I've learned both as a pastor serving many people's lives and also personally, it does get better. It's not going to be this hard for very long that the weight of what you're feeling, God does take the edge off. And he does begin to reveal himself in fresh new ways. And he does give the kind of comfort that he promises, right? He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulations. And he does come through and he does provide and he does help and he does vindicate and he does defend and he does strengthen and he does because he is the great promise giver. Let that anchor your life today to get through another day, another week, and who knows, wouldn't the coming of Jesus Christ just solve all your problems today? <laughs> it would for me. And we cry out, Maranatha, 
Even so, Lord, come quickly. But until then, faithful, faithful, faithful. So Father, thank you for the privilege of being encouraged by you today to be reminded that you're the anchor of our soul. You know, we don't hope like all wishful thinking. We hope, which is a confident, steadfast belief that you will come through on your word. So would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us today, Lord? Strengthen us. Strengthen the weak knees and the feeble hearts. And, And those that are stronger today, use them in your body to encourage others. And there, so that we'd be the family that you called us to be. So that we'll connect with the one or two people. That's really one or two people. Everyone connects with one or two people. It's an amazing thing what the body of Christ will do. And as we're praying, God, I pray that, and I ask you that you would draw people to yourself today and introduce yourself as the savior and the anchor of their life. That if they will confess with their mouth, you, the Lord Jesus, and believe in their heart that Jesus, you rose again from the dead, you'll save them. You'll meet their greatest need, and that's their soul. That no longer being tossed to and fro in the winds of life, but they'll have a sure, steadfast life that will be able to patiently endure anything and everything. And so as the church is praying, if you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I want the biggest issue in my life taken care of today. I would like my sins to be forgiven by God. I want to dedicate my life to following God today. If that's you, I want to ask you right where you are, would you stand up? I want to pray with you. I want to help you fulfill what the Bible says to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And I'm asking you for a public response to a public life, you'll live forever for Jesus Christ. And so here in this room, you guys out on the radio, obviously we don't see you, but God sees you in that car, in that hospital room. Maybe you're even in the parking lot. You didn't even make it into the building. Well, God loves you. He meets you in your car. He'll meet you in your kitchen. He'll meet you in that prison cell because he loves you. Even online, wherever you might be around the world, God's message of love has reached you. But for the sake of us here in this room, this is a beautiful thing to participate in, that we get to be a part of what God's doing in your life. So if that's you, just stand to your feet. We want to pray with you and encourage you in the things of the Lord today. God bless you, man. Who else would say, that's me? Today's the day that God is drawing you and calling you to himself. This is the moment. This is the time. So you know your soul's taken care of. Your soul. That no matter what happens, no matter what situation, you're right with God. It's a powerful thing to think and to receive by faith. It'll be a foundation stone the rest of your life to know that you made it right with God. God bless you in the back. Who else would say that's me? And just for the sake of someone on the radio right now, I get that sense that where this broadcast is being aired live right now and then later, that God receives that, that commitment. He, re- he sees you where you are. It's real. It's a real decision to follow a real God to receive real forgiveness. And you know, sometimes I don't see you in the room here because of the lights. It's, even if I don't see you, God knows. God bless you in the back, in the back as well. Lord bless you. And I mean that in every sense of the word, that God's favor will be upon your life from this day forward. So pray with me, would you, talking directly to God, you can say something like this. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
because there are many. And I ask you to change my life, to come inside of me. And do something, God, that only you could do. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me. And to die for me. And I believe, Jesus, you rose again from the dead. To change my life. And I want to follow you all the days I have left. Help me to turn away from my sins. Deliver me, God, that I might live with an anchor. I might live with an anchor. Father, I know that those who turn to you today, you hear them. You have heard them. I pray for our sister last night, God, that was so wrapped up in pain and sorrow and depression. I thank you you delivered her, that you rescued her once again. And now those that are turning to you, God, rescue the redeeming, rescuing power. Let it be known today as we continue to pray for our loved ones, as we continue to pray for our friends, as we continue to wait on you, that you give us these glimmers of hope, these glimmers of strength, these glimmers of your faithfulness, and that God, be with those that turn to you today. Let it be a testimony. The next missionary, the next pastor, (laughs) the, the next mom or dad raising their kids in your way, a whole generation churned and changed. And certainly an encouragement to us today. Bless them, Lord, as they turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.